Good morning. Um, we're continuing our reading of the Sermon on the Mount this morning from Matthew 7, 7 to 11. You're welcome to read along um, in your app or your Bible if you've got it. Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 to 11. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks find. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Good good morning. Uh, Good to see you guys. I was in uh, over the south last week. so I missed all the baptisms and the multiplication, and it's sad, but uh, uh, good to be with you guys. Uh, know that uh, our brothers and sisters in South are doing well. They send love and peace and all that stuff. So um, it, um, Lucas is away. He started his sabbatical, so um, be praying for him. Uh, he'll, you'll still see him. He has, he has, I think he's going to preach next week, but he's in Mallorca right now, so uh, getting some sun that he deserves. So uh, be praying for him. Be praying for rest and, and, and all the good things uh, for that. Is, I don't think, is Steve Robinson here? Is our friend Robbo here? No? Uh, Robbo is supposed to be here. Our, uh... <laughs> so I was going to say something uh, that kind of related to uh, my sermon today, and I still will. Uh, he, so Robbo preached, he pastors uh, at, uh, Cornerstone Church in Liverpool, um, he's preached here before. He, he preached while Lucas was sick. Real dear friend of ours, good brother. Um, uh, we've been praying for them. For their, They've been desperately in need of a new uh, place to gather in. Uh, they're, the place they, they uh, worship in, uh, they've outgrown it a long time ago. So um, I think I'm allowed to say by now, but um, we've been praying for this, this building that they'd get, uh, and they, they got it. So um, un- unbelievable. Um, uh, as, as, as Richard just read, uh, we have a father who, who hears our cries, who hears our, our prayers, uh, and responds. Um, so that's amazing. Uh, also good to have uh, John and Noel Piper with us uh, this morning. Uh, a, a, few, uh, a few days ago, uh, Lucas told me that our friend Robbo was going to be here, and I was like, oh, great. But I was a wee bit nervous, because I was like, I don't really want to preach in front of Robbo. He's, a, he's an older brother, and, and I really love him. And then this morning, he told me John's going to be here. Um, <laughs> but our Lord is sovereign. He knows exactly where his, his sons and daughters will be on the 9th of June. So uh, here we go. Um, if you haven't yet, open your Bibles to uh, Matthew chapter 7. Um, the Sermon on the Mount is chapters 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew. And last week, we began the seventh chapter, or the, the chapter 7. So um, we are nearly done. We're, we have a few more weeks left in this. Um, we've kind of said from the beginning, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, it's, it's really one of the most well-known uh, passages uh, in the Bible, uh, and it's chapter 7 that has some of the most kind of famous and pithy statements uh, that have made the sermon so popular and so memorable, uh, not only to, to the church, but, but to unbelievers as well. It's some of these statements that we encounter in chapter 7 uh, that have really made the person Jesus so, so famous and so popular. Um, even to unbelievers. Um, have you ever had a conversation with someone who's not a Christian and, and they'll say something along the lines of, you know, I, I don't like church, I don't like, I don't like religion, but, but I do like Jesus. He, he seems like at least an interesting person, a, a, a great teacher, he's often called. Um, and if you've ever had that conversation or heard someone say that, there's a really good chance that they, they think that way because of one of these things that, that, that Jesus has said in, in chapter 7 here. Um, statements like last week we talked about, uh, Jesus says, judge not that you be not judged. People like hearing, don't judge me. Um, he, he, today's passage, ask and you will, it will be given to you. I like that one. Um, the famous golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. People like hearing that. Treat me like you want to be treated. Um, these statements that, that people uh, hear Jesus say and they think, yeah, I, I can get on board with this Jesus. He seems like a good teacher here. 
But what you see happen is people can hear and like something that Jesus says, but at the same time, completely misunderstand what he's saying. Um, uh, or maybe uh, they completely miss the true meaning of what he's saying. Oftentimes, we'll, we'll take things out of context and use, misuse them. And, and we kind of do this with the entire Bible, don't we? Uh, Philippians 4.13 is a good example of this. I mentioned this in South last week. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Like athletes love this one. Athlete, like if you're, I'm going to win this race. Uh, I'm going to lift this weight. Uh, I'm going to score this goal. I'm going to conquer why? Because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's a way to kind of pump yourself up. Um, but that's completely missing the point of that passage. Um, it's, it's, it's not understanding the context that it's being used in. Because uh, you read that passage, and Paul's, he's not talking about conquering. He's, he's talking about contentment. Um, he, he says, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. He says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So that verse isn't about God giving you the strength to win the big match. It's about God giving you the strength to be content no matter what situation you're in, whether you're abounding or whether you're in a low place, facing hunger and need, suffering, poverty, do you see how we, we can often misunderstand the Bible? So it's important to, to read the whole context, to read the whole of Scripture. We don't just cherry-pick verses out and kind of run with them. And I'm saying all that because it's these famous passages that we're going to encounter in chapter 7, which are often misunderstood. Last week, we saw how this was done with Jesus' command, judge not that you be not judged. Lucas explained how, how Jesus means something different than we often think that he means. And today's, today's statement, ask and it will be given to you. What does Jesus mean here? What is, he, what is he actually talking about? And I think, most importantly, why is he saying this right now? At this point in the sermon, why is he saying this? Um, we've just come out of this section where, where Jesus, he's exhorting his disciples. Uh, he, uh, essentially, he tells us, don't be judgmental jerks. Okay? Be, be discerning disciples. Okay? Well, we're to be fair with people. We're to use the same standard uh, with people that we want to be used with us. Uh, and some scholars make this connection between these two passages uh, by saying that the previous section uh, it shows us how, how we are to deal with other people. And then this section shows us how God deals with us. And I, I think that's a good and a true connection. And I, but I think there's something more. When you, when you step back and you look at the, the, the entire context, and look at the whole sermon that we've covered so far. And, and, and that's what I, I, I want to do for us at the beginning here. I want to give us this overview of what Jesus has taught for the reason to answer this question why is Jesus talking about prayer here? Uh, let's, let's pray again and, and ask the Lord to help us. Uh, Father, you are so good to us. Y your love for us, um, it, it doesn't make sense uh, to us. Why, why would you choose us? Why would you love us? Because we know us. We know what our hearts are like. We often don't love you back. We often flee. Uh, but you've, you've chosen to love us, and, and we thank you for that. We thank you for loving us so much that you sent your very son, Jesus, to come and, and to be the way for us, uh, to, to make a way uh, for us to, to go from, from being dead to being alive, to go from being enemies of you to being family. Um, we thank you that, that you've done that. Uh, Spirit, we ask for your help again. Um, I'm, I'm not wise enough. I'm not powerful enough uh, to put truth into people's hearts. That's your job, and we leave it to you. Um, Spirit, we'd ask that you would uh, illuminate your, your word today. Help us to see Jesus more clearly. Today's all about you, Jesus. Today's not about anyone but you. Um, so we ask for your help. For these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. So uh, go to the chapter 5. We're going to try to do this as quick as possible. 
Um, Jesus begins the sermon with, with the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes basically show us what the heart of a, of a true follower of Jesus looks like. Um, true, true disciples, members of this kingdom of God, here's, where here's what their hearts look like. Uh, so they're, they're poor in spirit. Uh, they, they are those who mourn. They are meek. They hunger and they thirst for righteousness. They're merciful. They're pure in heart. They're peacemakers. Uh, he says they're going to be persecuted for righteousness' sake. So, so it's not easy to be part of this kingdom. So some people will, will revile you and utter um, all, all kinds of evil against you falsely on Jesus' account. But, but Jesus says uh, we can still rejoice and be glad even though that happens. And the reason we can rejoice and be glad in the meantime, he says, is because your reward in heaven is, is great. And so, so he opens up with that. This is what the heart of a true disciple looks like. And, and, and he goes on, and, and because this is what their hearts look like, uh, they will be distinct in this world. Uh, that, that his disciples will be different from the world around them. He calls us salt and light. And in verse 16 of chapter 5, I think he gives us the purpose of this distinction. Okay, the reason that you are to be distinct, the reason that you're to be different from the world around you, is so that your light will shine before others, that they'll see the way you live differently, and they will give glory to your Father who's in heaven. So the reason I'm making your hearts like this, the reason I'm making you distinct in this world is so that many will give glory to your Father who's in heaven. It's not so that you'll be different in the world and you'll stand out and people will think, man, this person's great and give you glory. It's so they'll think God is great and they'll give him glory. And your, your purpose in life is to glorify your Father. You're being sanctified for a reason. And that reason is so that God will receive glory. And I want us to see that this is a beautiful truth. It's a wonderful thing for God to do this for us. It's, it's, it's something that we can rejoice and be glad in, Jesus says. It's something that leads us to, to joy that's inexpressible, Peter says later. And, and, and the reason if, that, that it's so amazing is because this is exactly what you were created for. And it, it's the original purpose for your life. And all the way back in Genesis 1, uh, God, God creates humans, and he makes them in his image. So he gives us this royal and this priestly status in this world. And, and our, our purpose, he goes on, gives us this mandate. And our purpose is basically to represent God on earth, that we are kind of vice regents of him. And we, we represent God to the rest of the, the, the earth. We, we enjoy creation. We, we enjoy this life. But the point of it is to give him glory. And keep reading in Genesis, and we obviously mess that up very quickly. And what we do is we make life about us receiving glory rather than our Father, our God, receiving glory. And Paul says in Romans 1 that we begin to worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. Um, but what's wonderful is that Jesus is restoring us to that original purpose. He, 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 he takes away our heart of stone, this, this heart that's, that's useless, and he replaces it with a heart of flesh. And, and he, gives us, he gives us a heart that looks like his heart so that we can live in a way that we were created to live, giving glory to our Father who's in heaven. Isn't this amazing, uh, this wonderful truth? He's restoring us to our original purpose. And we're only able to, to properly fulfill that mandate when we are in Christ, that we see. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. And, but it's also a tall order, isn't it? And there's a lot of responsibility. He gives us a lot of responsibility in this life. Because he goes on to explain what this life looks like. And, and, and it isn't easy. Um, in fact, he says in verse 20 of chapter 5 that those who are part of this kingdom, they have a righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees. Uh, now, remember, Jesus, is, he's, he's speaking to a particularly Jewish audience here. But the point that he's making is that true followers of him, 
they, they have a righteousness that exceeds that uh, of a mere external cleanliness, uh, this surface-level obedience. He says that true followers, they have a righteousness uh, of the heart, and they have a righteousness of, of the inside as well as the outside. The whole cup is clean, not just the outside. And we, we've kind of coined, we've talked about this in a way, we described it as having a deeper righteousness. See, to exceed the, the righteousness of these, of these uh, Pharisees is not to exceed in, in quantity, but to exceed in quality. It's a righteousness of the whole person. Uh, and he spends the bulk of the sermon explaining what this life of deeper righteousness actually looks like in, in real life. And we learn that it's not easy. Uh, no, this, this deeper righteousness. He says when it comes to, to uh, fidelity in your marriages, when it comes to, f- to fidelity in, in your words and your oaths, he says, I, I don't want just what's on the outside to, to be obedient. I want what's on the inside to be faithful. When, when it comes to, to, to loving those who are against you, when it comes to loving your enemies, I want what's in your heart to be pure. Hey, when it comes to anger, when it comes to lust, I don't want what's in the outside just to be clean. I want your hearts to be pure in this. He goes on to talk about what this, what this greater righteousness, this deeper righteousness looks like in your, your personal devotion to God, your prayer life, fasting, uh, giving to the needy, these things that kind of well, should go unseen. I want what's in your heart to be pure. He goes on to talk about uh, money. What's in your bank account? These things that we hold so tightly to. Your money, how you spend it. The material things of this world, treasure. He says, I'm after your heart. You can't serve both God and money. I want you to have a deeper righteousness of the heart when it comes to how you relate to people, he goes on. He says, don't, don't judge people unfairly. Uh, don't be harsh. Don't be condemning. No, treat people the way God's treated you. Be generous. Be gentle. Be patient. We've been unpacking what this life of deeper righteousness of the heart looks like for, for about nine weeks now. And I don't know about you, uh, but for me, it's a tall order. And it, it, it's, there's a lot of responsibility. In fact, you might even have the thought, is it possible at all? I mean, in verse 48, he says, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Be holy like, like your Father in heaven is holy. If Jesus is saying that, that this is what the life of a true disciple actually looks like, and anything else is, is a counterfeit, where does that leave me? And, I, and I've spoken to several of you who have felt the weight of this as well. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Uh, you see, you can, you can read the sermon in one of two ways. Um, you, you can read it and you can feel overwhelmed. You can read it and, and, and maybe feel condemned. Is this possible? Uh, or you can read it in the way that Jesus wants you to read it. You can hear it the way that Jesus wants you to hear it. And that's with great hope. And you see, there's, there's, there's this thing that Jesus keeps saying. There's this phrase that he keeps saying. These two words that he keeps saying. And I think this thing he keeps saying over and over again is meant to encourage us. It's meant to give us hope. It's meant to give us confidence. And these two words are your father. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus uses the words your father 16 times. Your father, your heavenly father, your father in heaven, over and over and over again. He keeps saying this to his disciples. So while describing this life of greater righteousness, this life that's proof, that's evidence that you are a true follower, he keeps reminding them who their father is. And, and, and the bulk of these, 
12 of the 16 times he, he says, your father is in, is in chapter 6. And, and nearly all of them, they're, he, they're, it's used in this extremely personal way. Uh, your father sees you. He sees you in secret. Uh, your father, uh, he, he knows what you need. And the majority of them are about you receiving from your father, reward from your father. Your father will give you what you need. I think every time he uses this phrase, your heavenly father, it's, it's meant to increase our faith. It's meant to encourage us. It's meant to give us confidence. It's meant to, to, to remind us what our relational position is in this universe. So, so yeah, this, this life is, is, is a high calling. It's not easy. Jesus said, never said it's going to be easy. But Jesus keeps reminding us who your father is. He says, you have a father who's in heaven. Your father is the creator and the sustainer of the universe. All-knowing. He knows everything. He knows what you need before you even ask him for it. Your father loves you. Your father delights in you. Psalm 18. That's who your father is. And I love these, these sections he keeps dropping in here that I think are meant to, to calm us down. They're meant to reassure us of the goodness of your father. So chapter 6, verse 25 to 34, he says, Don't be anxious about your life. Don't be anxious about tomorrow. Why? Because you have a father in heaven who knows you, who loves you, who's going to give you what you need. Don't be anxious. Don't have little faith. No, you can have great faith. Why? Because of who your father is. Your father's job is to look after you. That's what fathers do. His job is to look after you. And in verse 33, he gives us our job. Our job is to seek after the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek after the kingdom. Seek this deeper righteousness of the heart. In the beginning, he said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, and they shall be satisfied. You want satisfaction in life? Well, hunger and thirst for righteousness. Seek the kingdom. Seek his righteousness. This greater righteousness of the heart should be your goal. It should be what you're after. It's what he wants from you. But, but, but don't be anxious, Jesus says. Remember who your father is. He knows what you need and will give you what you need. Rest in that. Have confidence in that. And there's this balance that we're meant to have here, isn't there? And so this life of greater righteousness, that's evidence that someone is a true follower of Christ, we take it seriously. It's really important, Jesus says. So we don't treat it lightly. And we're going to get to a section where probably the most serious passage in the Bible uh, where Jesus will say, listen, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Like there's going to be some who, 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 who come to him and say, Lord, look what I've done. And Jesus will say, depart from me. I never knew you. You workers of lawlessness. It's the most terrifying thing you can imagine uh, hearing. Jesus saying, depart from me. I don't know you. There will be some who enter the kingdom of heaven, and there will be some who won't. So, so we, we, we take it seriously, this life of greater righteousness. But breathe. <laughs> Listen to this, this wonderful and encouraging message that Jesus has been weaving all throughout the sermon. You have a Father who sees you. You have a Father who knows you, who knows your every need. He loves you. He delights in you. He will supply you with what you need. Remember, he's, he's chosen you before the foundations of the world. And remember what the Apostle Paul says in, in 1 Thessalonians 5.23. He says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. 
Let me say that again. May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. This sounds, should sound familiar, this, this life of deeper, whole person righteousness. The next bit is the best. It says, he who calls you is faithful. He will, he will surely do it. If he's called you, he's not going to give up on you. He's going to follow through. He's faithful. He will do it. Man, I, I don't know about you, but I need to hear that. And I need to hear that regularly. Because the, the natural instinct of my heart is not to become more holy. The, 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 the natural longing of my heart is not towards a life of greater righteousness. Like, I don't know about you, but when I, when I think about the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, uh, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Uh, th- there are times in my life when I feel like I'm, I'm getting less patient, not more. There are times when I feel like I'm, I'm being less uh, gentle, not more. Uh, less in control, not more in control. Like it feels at times in life that this, this greater righteousness keeps slipping further away. Does anyone else feel that way at times? I think Jesus' point here is remember, it's not your sole responsibility to get it done. Your Father knows what you need, He's called you, He's the one who will sanctify you. You simply need to ask him. Your job is to ask. Your job is to seek. Your job is to knock, and he will answer. He will give it to you. So verses 7 to 11, they're about prayer. They're about petition. And this, this section, it, we're drawing this main uh, topic of the Sermon on the Mount to a close. This main subject of this life of, of greater righteousness. And I, I think this is a perfect way to, to start to wind down this subject. Because of what, uh, what I've just tried to lay out, these feelings that can come along with the call. Feelings of inadequacy. Feelings of, is this even possible? Jonathan Pennington writes that today's passage, it's one of the most encouraging and hope-giving sections in the whole of the sermon, even the whole of the New Testament. In it, disciples are given a straightforward invitation to seek God to meet their needs with confidence, based on the invitation to relate to God, not as a mere uh, omnipotent deity, but as a good and a caring father. And so let's, let's look directly at the passage. I think it's pretty straightforward, isn't it? Verse 7, Jesus gives this command, uh, more of an invitation uh, to, to, to ask and to seek and to knock. And then in verses 8 to 11, he follows this invitation up with confidence-inspiring reasoning. Here's the reason you, you can confidently ask and seek and knock. Uh, So the passage is about prayer, it's about petition, it's about asking God for something. Uh, And and really I want to answer uh, these questions. Um, What are we asking for? Why are we asking? How are we to ask? And who are we asking? And why can we trust him? A bit of a who, what, when, where. When, just always, okay? That's that's the when. We'll get that one out of the way. Uh, so first one, what are we asking for, okay? I'm not going to spend too much time on that because I think I've just spent about 30 minutes uh, telling you that. Um, so remember, don't, don't cherry pick these verses, uh, misunderstand them, misuse it, okay? Step back, look at, look at the whole context, uh, uh, read the rest of Scripture. Uh, Lucas always says the, the number one rule in, in hermeneutics in, in, in explaining the Scriptures and interpreting them is that Scripture in, interprets itself, Okay, so read the whole of it. So, so just like last week, judge not that you be not judged. 
doesn't necessarily mean we're never to, to judge or discern wrong in people's lives, but rather we do that fairly and, and generously and, 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 and gently. So also this verse, ask and it will be given to you, it doesn't necessarily mean, hey, ask for whatever you want and God will always give it to you. He's going to deliver it on a silver platter. And no, Jesus, he, he's, he's already laid out what we should be asking for. He told us what we should be seeking for, okay? He's, we can cheat because we can read it. Go, seek first what? The kingdom of God and his righteousness. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Dale Allison, he's professor, pro- professor of New Testament studies at Princeton. He says it's the, the asking and the seeking is for wisdom to properly follow what Jesus has just laid out. This tall order, this, this life of deeper righteousness, we can't do it on our own. It's, it's impossible. We, we need him. We need God's help. So, so what are we asking for? Well, well anything from, from our Father in heaven, but Jesus has shown us what, this, what our hearts should be after, and our hearts are after the kingdom. Our hearts are after a life of, of deeper righteousness. That's, that's what we're after. Uh, secondly, why are we asking? should be pretty obvious that, that we ask because we need. Um, you, so you don't ask for things that you already have. Um, it's f- fairly simple logic that in, in inviting us to, to ask and to seek and to knock, Jesus is assuming that you have needs to be met. And the, the, he opened the first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who are needy uh, in, in their soul. You aren't perfect yet. Uh, you, there's, there's sanctification to be done. Amen? And th- throughout the Bible, there's this theme of, of, of here and not yet that I think is sometimes hard for us to, to wrap our minds around. The kingdom is like that. Uh, our sanctification is like that. And Hebrews 10 I, helps to explain this, though. It's on the screen um, Hebrews 10, verse 10, that, that chapter is showing us what, what Christ has done uh, for us. And verse 10 says, and by that will, the will is the, the Father's will, by that will we have been sanctified, how? Through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. This is, this is amazing news that, that your position is sanctified, it's done uh, you're completely done because the, the, the death on the cross. Because Jesus, his blood, has paid for your debt in full. But, but keep reading, and verse 14 says, For by a single offering he has perfected all those who are being sanctified. So there's this, there's this here and not yet. Positionally, you are in Christ. Okay? Positionally, you are clothed in his righteousness. Hallelujah. Like, thank you, Jesus. When, when the Father sees you, he sees the righteousness of Christ. Not your debt. That's been paid, done, once and all. But, but relationally, he's given us the Holy Spirit because there's, there's work to be done. There's sanctification to be done. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians 3 that we're being transformed into the same image uh, from one degree of glory to another. There's this, this transformation process that's happening. Philippians 1.6 says, Paul says, I, I am sure of this, I'm, I'm confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He who began a good work in you, your father, and he's going to complete that. That's, there's a work going on. You're not perfect. You still have needs. This is why we're invited to ask and to seek and to knock. Thirdly, how are we to ask? Um, again, uh, Jesus, is he saying, ask for anything and it will always be given to you? Uh, James 4, 3 gives us some more insight. It's on the screen as well. He says, you ask and you do not receive. Stop there. And that's the opposite of what Jesus said will happen, right? Ask and it will be given to you. James is saying you ask and it's not given to you. You haven't received. Is, is he contradicting Jesus here? 
And if you keep reading, you see that he doesn't contradict Jesus. He's saying there's a proper way to ask. Ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. He's saying you're asking with the wrong motives. You're asking so that you can spend whatever you get on your, your own pleasures. The reason you're even asking is so that you can serve your own selfish desires and your appetite. In his book on prayer, Tim Keller points out the difference between praying thy will be done and my will be done. There's a difference between those two things. And in fact, there's this, there's this common theme uh, that we've been encountering over the last few weeks. And, and, and this theme is remember your position. And we learned in the, the section on anxiety that anxiety at the root of it we're essentially putting ourselves in, in God's position. It's a lack of trust that, that he knows what you need and he will fulfill those needs. No, we think he doesn't know what I need. I know a little bit better than he does. So we swap positions with him in a way. And, and in, the, in verses 1 to 6 of chapter 7, there's this theme of remember your position. Your, your role is not judge. That's God's, that's God's role alone. Remember your position. And in this section, how are we to pray? By remembering our position. Jesus, he's already taught us this. So in chapter six, he says, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. This is what it looks like to have this greater righteousness of the heart when it comes to prayer. Your will be done, Father, not mine. 1 John 5, 14 says the same thing. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, toward our Father, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. This is how we are to pray. He's your Father. Pray like he's your Father. Jesus says, remember that he knows what you need even before you ask him. Like, that should, that should change the way you pray. It should change your heart in your prayer. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Read, read the rest of the Gospels. Jesus is always about the Father. He's always about his Father's will. Always about, he's always taking himself off to spend time with the Father, to realign his heart with the Father. He's all about the Father. What about his prayer in the garden? Father, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, what does he say? Not my will, but yours be done. Just before his death, he's all about the Father's will, not his. And this is what our hearts should look like. This should shape how we ask and we seek. Your will be done. And there's a balance here as well. Uh, Keller says it's possible even in the face of all these necessary warnings about asking amiss to be too timid. So Jesus isn't saying ask timidly here. whatever Whatever you want, God, your will be done. No, look at verse one. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. These kind of three levels, if you will, of, of petition. I, I don't remember who said it. Um, wasn't me. Um, maybe it was John. Um, they, they, they kind of painted this picture of, uh, of a child in a house with their parent. And, and when that child needs something, they just, they ask. They cry out, Mommy, Daddy. All they do is turn and ask. And, but if that parent isn't in the room, which happens in our house, the, the child gets up and they go and look for their, their, their parent all day long. They, they seek in that way. But if that parent is, is, is in a closed room, what do they do? They knock. You're, normally you're in the bathroom. <laughs> Just need a second. I'm trying to do something. Now, I'm knocking confidently. Why? Because you're my dad. There's this confidence in their asking and their seeking and their, and their knocking. 
Again, why? Because it's their father. You can ask your father anything. Donald Bloch says, prayer is not simply petition, it's strenuous petition. It's active pleading with God. It consists not merely in, in reflection on the promises of God, but in taking hold of these promises. They're for you, his children. So we pray, we ask according to the will of the Father, but, but also confidently because he is our Father. We ask, we seek, and we knock. And as we draw to a close, let's, let, let's focus on our last point. Who are we asking and, and why can we trust him? Why is he faithful to answer? Let's read the whole passage one more time. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who, who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you... If his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent. If then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts, good, give good gifts to those who ask him? So the, so the question uh, of who we should be asking is, is glaringly obvious by now. You're not paying attention if, if you don't get this. It's our Father in heaven, God himself. Uh, we're asking him for help. We're asking him for, for, for wisdom uh, to live this life of deeper righteousness. We're asking him to meet our needs, both physical and spiritual, we, we see in the sermon. We ask strenuously. We ask confidently, but according to his will, for the sake of the kingdom, for the sake of righteousness, because that's what our hearts are after. Our hearts are for him, for his kingdom, for his glory, not ours. And then here in verses 8 to 11, Jesus gives us the reason we can be confident that he hears our prayer and will respond and give us what we need. He gives us this, uh, another quick parable. And the, the, the first thing I want you to see is the emphasis in this parable it's not on the skill or the persistence of, of the prayer, okay? Although that's, that persistence is important, we've just seen that. But Jesus isn't saying that, that that persistence is the reason we could be confident God will answer our prayer. It's got to wear him down, going to get it eventually. No, the, the emphasis is on the per, isn't on the person praying. The emphasis is on the character of kindness of the Heavenly Father, that's the reason we can be confident. He uses again this, this lesser to greater argument, this how much more argument, where human fathers are compared with the heavenly father. Verse 9 says, Which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him stone? If he asks you for a fish, will give him a, a, a serpent? Jesus often asks questions where where the answer is, is obvious. Like the, the answer is no one. Who's going to do that? And has anyone seen the, the docu-series Long Way Around? It's, it's, a, it's this documentary that follows uh, the actor Ewan, McGway, Ewan McGregor and his best mate Charlie as they ride their motorcycles around the world. Um, uh, they, so they start in, in Scotland and they ride east um, all the way around the world, through, through Europe, Kazakhstan, Mongolia, Russia. They cross over through Alaska, Canada, into the United States. Um, it, it's recommend you, you watch it. It's, it's funny, uh, but also heart-gripping. Um, and and uh, one, of the, um, one of the most memorable scenes for me is they're reflecting on their trip. Um, these guys aren't, aren't believers to, to the best of, to, that I can see. Um, they're... They're reflecting on their trip. They're, they're, they're thinking back about all the people that they encountered. Um, Westerners, people in tribes, people in the East. And, and they said that, that, that the, all these different and diverse cultures, the people of the world, so different. But the one thing that all the people had in common was that they loved their children. That they, they, they all just wanted the best for their kids. 
And, and, and this, is what, this is the point that Jesus is making, that even you earthly fathers, who he calls evil, like, I, if, if you can be, I think he's being um, literal and hyperbolic here. Like, your hearts are sinful. There's nothing in you that, that's, that's righteous. You, you, we are all in need of grace. We need Jesus. So he's, he's being literal in that way, but he's also comparing earthly dads to the heavenly one. So, so compared to him, you are pure evil. He's completely good. He, he, there's no spot of, of bad in him. He's not fickle like you are. He doesn't change his mind like we do. He doesn't get grumpy like we do. He's perfect, always good. So even if, if you earthly dads look after your children and good gifts to them, give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father who's perfect, who's perfectly good, eternally good, how much more will he look after his children and give good gifts to them? Like you think you've experienced what it's like to have a good dad? You've no idea. You haven't, you've experienced nothing yet. Your Father in heaven, your true and forever Father, He knows you. He knows your every need. He's called you. He loves you. He delights in you. He hears your every cry and will answer. He's your Father and He's good. He cares for you more than you could ever imagine. That's why we can be confident and trust that He will answer our prayers. We have the assurance that God, our Heavenly Father, always, always wants what's best for His children. Now, now, again, remember your position. Sometimes we don't know what's best for us. And so I have three young chil- children, and they, they ask me for stuff all the time. Not as much as they ask my wife for stuff all the time, all day long. And, and, and a lot of the time, the answer is no. Like, no, I'm not giving you sweeties for breakfast. I'm not, you can't go play in the street. Put that knife down. (laughs) Like there are times when I say no, but it's because I'm a decent father. Because I I know what's best for my kids most of the time. I say no. Um, But but do you know what? Um, I found that as they grow, as they mature, um, I have to say no less and less often. And, and I think the reason is because they, they start to learn what's best for them. They start to learn my will for them in that way. They're maturing. They, they learn that knife play is not in their best interest. They eventually learn, maybe, that a diet of chocolate and marshmallows will not sustain them. The point is, whether I say yes uh, to, th- to them to, to things that are good, or whether I say no to them to things that are not good for them, I love them. I always have the, uh, uh, the, their best interest in mind. And Jesus' point is, if, if, if I do that as an as as evil man as, as I am, how much more can we trust our Heavenly Father to do that for us? Keller says, God will give us what we ask or give us what we would have asked if we knew everything he knew. I think that's brilliant. God will either give us what we ask or give us what we would have asked if we knew everything that he knew. Which I think, again, is why Jesus teaches us to pray, Father, your will be done. You know what's best for me. This life, my very life, The purpose of it is to give you glory. Lord, help us to do that. Let's stand and pray. And our our Father, who's in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. 
Lord, let that be uh, the cry of our hearts. Lord, shape our hearts to be a heart that, that, that wants that, that desires that. That our affection is, is for you, God, not for ourselves. Thank you that you are faithful to us, Father. Help us to see just how good you are. Don't let us be distracted by, by the way our own have dads have failed us. Lord, give us a picture of you, that you are perfect, that you're good, that you've called us, that you love us, you want what's best for us. Jesus, thank you for what you've done for us. We don't deserve it. We thank you that you came and you died for us so that we can become sons and daughters of the Father, our brother Jesus. How amazing is that? To you be all the glory. Lord, help us. We need you. Save us from ourselves. Save us from our own desires. Be with our minds, Lord. Help us to, to think properly. I pray for the ones, Lord, that, that feel condemned when they're reading this. That feel like they're not good enough. Their life is not adding up. Jesus, give them confidence. May they know who their Father is. May they know the love that their Father has for them. You're so good to us. I pray all these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. And we're going to end just like we, we normally end, by remembering what Jesus has done for us. He came and his body was broken for us on the cross. That's why we break this bread. We dip it in the wine to remember his blood that was shed for us. Our position with the Father is only possible because of what he's accomplished on the cross. And we want to remember that. We want to remember it because we're forgetful. So as we sing a couple songs, come, come together, remember joyfully, take off a piece of the bread, dip it into the wine, and remember how amazing Jesus is, how much his love for us has no end.